Hey everybody, just wanted to let you know that the book Provoked by Juan Galloway is now available for pre-order. Provoked tells you how to love people relentlessly and do beautiful works that make you and others come alive. You can pre-order the book today at newyorkcityrelief.org slash provoked. If you do pre-order today, we will email you chapter one of the book. Half the proceeds go to help our friends who are struggling with homelessness, so help us out and pre-order today. Once again, www.newyorkcityrelief.org slash provoked. Thanks. In a world that needs something to read, that will lead them into bold new horizons, a new book emerges. Provoke. How to love people relentlessly, doing beautiful works that make you and others come alive by Juan Galloway. It's a book so daring that it demands to have its own podcast. Hosted by Juan Galloway, President and CEO, and Alec Goebel, Outreach Leader of New York City Relief, a mobile outreach to people experiencing homelessness. Turn up the volume, open your mind, and prepare to be provoked. provoked. Okay, so this is the debut podcast episode of Provoked, the Woo-hoo. podcast. So, Numero uno. Yeah, exactly. Now, and the subtitle, uh, as we said, is how to love people relentlessly and do beautiful works that make you and others come alive. And actually, each podcast episode is going to be one chapter. So today, we're just going to tackle the, the preface, the beginning, the idea, and then each episode will take one chapter. And the chapters are provoked to love, uh, log jam to, of love, provoked to intimacy, provoked to build community, provoked to woo the poor, provoked to serve and lead, provoked to act. Anyway, let's not go into any more of that. Very provocative. N- yeah, exactly. So... Now, let's talk about how we met, because we've known each other like 30 years, man. Yeah, 30 years. We're old, right? <laughs> I'm 48, you're 49. 49, right? I just turned 49. You're an yep. old guy, not me, like me, younger. I'm, I'm uh, your senior. <laughs> and uh, let's tell a little bit about ourselves, okay? We met uh, in 1988, I believe, it in was Dallas, Texas. Yep. That's right. And now we live in New Jersey, both of us. How weird is that? Um, but we met at, of all places, Christ for the Nation's Bible Institute. Basically, Bible College. CFNI, Dallas, Texas. And we were basically, you and me, the weirdos on campus. That's how I would put it. Would you you say that's true? That would be accurate. Yeah. (laughs) Because everybody else is so conservative and straight-laced and like conservative Bible, whatever. And we were basically the skaters, right? That's right. Skate punks. That's how we connected the first time we met. Yeah. I mean, back then it was... uh, you know, we were just kids, right? I yeah. mean, it was easy. It was. I was eighteen. Yeah, eighteen. I was eighteen. It was so simple. Uh, it's basically like if you saw somebody else who was a skater, you're like, I could hang out with that guy. We're gonna be friends. And that guy's cool. Yeah. And I was like, oh yeah, there's somebody who gets me. You know. Yeah. And you didn't even think it out like that. It was just automatically it's, a connection, no words totally. necessary. It's like you could even just like roll up alongside somebody and just start skating the same curb. And you, you know. could tell, even without a skateboard, you were a skater. You had the the um, the skater haircut. It was like a Tony Hawk, <laughs> you know, long bangs. Of course, you had red hair, so you yeah, stood out. I, I stood out, That's and right, especially most, in the sunlight. Most of my years of Bible college, I remember going to class and us going skateboarding after class. You know, the the probably the other significant thing we did before, besides just goofing off skateboarding is uh, we were in a band together. That's right. It was the first band I was ever in, I guess the first band you were ever in. Yeah, that actually happened about 
I'm going to say that it happened a year later because we started the... Yeah, probably 1989. It was 1989. Yeah, we, we actually... Uh, our band was called Sanctified Noise, which was is yeah. a Christian punk rock band. That was band. your idea, pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not sure how to, totally, honestly, how it came together. I feel like several of us were like, what about this? What about that? Yeah. You know how it really, you know, I kind of remember now. I was trying to, I was at, at the time, I was on the streets of Dallas witnessing to all the punk rockers and having zero effectiveness. I was mm-hmm. leading lots of other people to Jesus, except for the punk rock kids who I really had a heart for. I don't know yeah. why, but I was like, man, I love them. And they were like, they're not interested in talking about Jesus. Yeah. So I thought because they like they like wore they wore their rejection on their sleeve. I mean, it right. was. And they were yeah. It was, it was it was in your face. It was, and so, so I no I felt barred. like God kind of revealed to me like I need to speak to them in their language if I want to be effective, be all things to all men. Yeah. And then I think I talked it over with Steve and you and whoever. I don't know. It just it was like, what about if we started a Christian punk rock band? Yeah. What would we call it? And then somebody came up with Sanctified Noise. Right. And actually it was a, <laughs> so I, I remember a little bit of a different, like a few more details. It was a little bit of a joke actually in the beginning. Yeah. And uh, I I was, I would joke about starting this band called Sour Grapes. <laughs> and then you came up That's with a That's a better band. name. <laughs> <laughs> well, and uh, and and then so you and Steve almost as a competition, you guys got together and you came up somehow with sanctified noise, which you just explained, right? Something yeah. about how you came about. Sounds very religious, you know, sanctified. Yeah. <laughs> very but then, churchy. but then you actually had musical capability. You know, a you actually tiny had bit. like two guitars and a bass guitar and that drum machine and a four track. <laughs> exactly. You know. And so you guys like started getting together, and one of the first uh, songs you did was the one that uh, um, one of our professors used to have us sing in class. It was the Shema, yeah, the, actual, the, the, the Hebrew, Hebrew, yeah, yeah, the Shema. So you made a punk rock version of it, yeah, and we were afraid the... that if we gave it to him, he'd be mad at us and offended. But we made the tape anyway, yeah, and we gave it and to him and released it secretly, anonymously. <laughs> we did, and then he played it in front of the whole class, and he acted like he was banging his head. Which was hilarious. He loved it. He had a toupee. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was very I funny. Kind of forgot, I forgot that. <laughs> it was very yeah. funny here. Anyway. Um, yeah, so we had, so we did yeah. concerts, you and me and Steve and Jamie, right. all over the place for like three years. Yeah, all over Texas, um, up to Chicago. We played Cornerstone Music yeah. Festival. And, and we used right. to play all kinds of youth group concerts and youth Christian groups. coffee houses yeah. Um, Even some of the clubs. Yeah. Are, secular still, clubs. Uh, We'd be in the bars. In. So we played all these places yeah. and it was against the rules for us as Bible college students to even walk into those clubs. We That's were right. booking yeah. concerts in the clubs. <laughs> and so I remember I got called into the Dean's office and he's like, are you guys going clubbing and everything? This is before you joined the band, I think. And I was like, I love Jesus and I just want to tell everybody about God. And he's like, okay, you can do it. Just keep it on the down low because <laughs> it's against the rules. <laughs> he was but cool, he quote was, unquote, was, about it. Yeah, he was very decided cool Decided to be it. cool about it. That's yeah. cool. Um, it was fun. Yeah, what was on the other? Remember Slip Disc? Yeah. Slip Disc was a dingy little... Punk rock club. Studio. Yeah, it was like, I guess they called it a studio, right? And That's that one of the uh, funniest places we played. It was, I mean, it was a hole in the wall. Right. It was a whole. It was, and we played it multiple times, yeah. and the kids were all these punk rock kids. Some of them were runaways and yeah. on drugs, and we went Gang in members, there. Yep. I I mean, it's it's so funny, but I remember that vividly. <clears throat> you and me on stage, and we usually had not have our we wouldn't have our shirts on because that was very punk rock. <laughs> yeah. And it was hot. It was like eighty yeah. or hundred degrees. Dallas, in there Texas, during the yeah. summer. 
And I remember that um, I took, I used to work at this place where people call in for prayer and I would answer the phone and pray for them. <laughs> I remember <laughs> that. So, so they, they would throw away all the forms. You'd fill out their name and what prayed for and, and they'd throw them all away, but they would shred them. So I thought, hey, I know a great idea. Why don't I yeah. grab all those shredded forms and we can throw it out over the audience at the club like confetti. <laughs> it was bags and bags, bags garbage bags and bags. full. And of so we paper. did do that. That was one <laughs> of the was, greatest things. It's hilarious. They yeah. were throwing it in the air. There was paper everywhere oh, and it was man. all shredded prayer forms. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Yeah, I mean ever Everybody went wild with that stuff. Um, I mean, it was crazy because we would do the show, like half the show, right? Yeah. And then in the middle, you'd share your testimony about how Jesus changed your life or yeah. one of us. And it was great, too, because the audience, like the guys, the, the mentality of the punk rockers then was uh, they they really valued the idea of freedom of speech. And yet there was also a very, a very um, prominent strain of anti-religion. Right. You know, in the punk rock movement. So I remember that we would have guys in the audience that would actually start to argue as we would share. You know, they would sit there and they'd say, shut the up. You know, right. and then other guys would be raw. like, you shut the up and you let them talk. You know, and so they would go, they would volley back and forth and we would just continue to continue to talk. And eventually, you know, I think that um, the best thing was that. You know, even then, looking back, I think I understand the dynamic better now than I did then. But, but the Lord would stir people's hearts, and they would come to us after the shows. Yeah. You know, and they was, you know, they'd say something, and they'd be like, you know, hey, I really appreciated uh, you guys, you know, what you had to say, you know, and this, and eventually we kind of, we had, a, I guess you could say, a bit of a following. Yeah. Of friends that we had made. You know, of of the punk rockers going to these shows and playing music for them, you know, and, and they began to learn about Jesus. Eventually, we started a Bible study. Right at your house, you basically yeah. hosted it with Jamie, the drummer. That's right. And we would have like 30, 40 people sometimes. It was yeah. crazy. Yeah, we started crowding out. Uh, first, it was the living room. The living room was adjacent to the dining room, so yeah. eventually, it kind of overflowed into the dining room, and we had like a whole other group sitting there, in kind another of, part of the house. Yeah, yeah, in the darker section there. Those were As good we times, shared and man. talked and just read from the Bible. Yeah, yeah. Those, those, those were very formative years for us. Now, fast forward, right? 30 years later. 30 years. We both work <laughs> together yep. at the same organization in the Northeast <clears throat> where neither one of us is from, right? right. At right. all. You were from Arizona. Uh, yeah, more from the Southwest. Yeah, yeah, I was more like Oklahoma, more Southwest, yeah. you know, and then Dallas, you know, like you. So, um I've been at New York City Relief 14 years, um, which is an organization helping the homeless to get off the streets and turn their lives around. And you came on board, what'd you say, like two and a half years ago, something like that? Yeah, I think it's been about two years and 10 months. Okay, so something wow, like almost three years. Yeah, You've almost been, three years. So that's so amazing that, um, you know, every week, I mean, we started out in Bible college together. Now we're working in ministry together, helping the poor and the homeless on the streets. Like we were back on the streets. Yeah. That's what we were doing in the beginning. That's right. We were we were doing concerts literally out on the street sometimes at yep. the Profit Bar. Yeah, the in the back lots and projecting. Uh, the sound was like out in the alleyway in the streets. Exactly. Yeah. And and even in Bible college, I started going out to feed the homeless. You know? You yeah. Remember that? And Oh, you, yeah. Yeah, that's right. We we would go and get the, um, the uh, 
what was it? It was like a Sam's Club or whatever. We get the thing with the two loaves of we'd bread make, and we'd one make big bologna bag. sandwiches <laughs> in the dorm room. At and I don't think College. it was like bologna. I I specifically remember <laughs> it was called lunch and loaf. Lunch like and loaf. what is that? I don't know. It's the cheapest meat made. That's what it is. But we were on a very limited budget. Oh my gosh! We so did the best that we could. We would make the sandwiches and go out in the streets and feed the homeless and pray for them. And I remember, I just mm. felt like God told me to do it, so I did it. And then everybody else just said, oh, I'll come along. Hey, let yeah. me come. And People started handing us some cash, and we would take it and go buy more bread and exactly more, food. more meat, yeah. mystery meat. Yeah, and I remember going out with um, like other like other Bible college students, and they were praying for people, and they're getting healed, yeah. and they're leading people to the Lord. And it was crazy. I remember one night, we were playing in Deep Ellum. And it was middle of the night, like 2 a.m. or something. And all these skinheads were out there. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot that back then. There was a then. big thing going on in Dallas. And then. we would talk to them and try yep. to talk to them about Jesus and love. And I remember Steve got kicked in the back of the head once and kicked yeah. out into the he middle of the street. Yeah, on a curb. That's right. But, but one time, the leader of the skinheads, his name was Andy Anarchy. I don't know if you remember this. <laughs> yeah, I do. I Andy do Anarchy, his little sister, who also had her head shaved and she had little fringe bangs, one of our group led her to Jesus. And she ran up to me and Andy, who I'm trying to, you know, talk to about God and have an intellectual discussion, you know, to this very racist guy. She runs up and goes, guess what? I just gave my life to Jesus. (laughs) And I was like, no way. And he's freaked out. He had no idea how to respond to that. He was like stuttering and just, he was bewildered. But we, so these were some crazy times we shared. And now we're even, even to this day, we're living this kind of raw out in the street faith together, mm-hmm. which is such a gift to me that we could continue to do life yeah, together. Because yeah. now I've got four kids. Mine are almost all grown. You've got some grown kids and babies on the way. How many kids <laughs> do you have? 20? Uh, it's like eight to 10. <laughs> eight I, to that's why I tell people eight yeah, to 10. Yeah, yeah. You just, you know. There's actually a rationale behind that. <laughs> so you have a lot of kids. So, so yeah. both of us do, right? We have great families, right. great wives. And it's just amazing to me that we'd end up working together again, following God and helping the outcasts of society. It's still yeah. the same thing. So, you know, so it's really uh, a privilege to me that you would do this little podcast with me just to kind of let people know about the book right. and plus just have fun. Mostly well, I just cool. wanted it's to a... hang out with you and have fun. <laughs> yeah. So this Never is a Never pass excuse. up an opportunity for that. Exactly. And it's a privilege for me uh, just that you, that you asked me to do this and we get to share a little bit about our past. So, so the book, it opens up right with a story and it's a crazy story of when I was a kid, I was in a Christian school. It was my church that I went to the church school. So it was high school and I was in 10th grade. Okay. And the spoiler alert, you know, you are going to read the book and don't worry. The book is better than the podcast. Um, but here's what happened every day. I was in this classroom and this older kid, they had to combine grades in different classes because it was a tiny school. He would walk by me. He was a big bruiser dude. He played mm-hmm. in the football team and he'd flick my ear. Do, do things like that drive you crazy? Yeah. Like it kind of yeah. shocks you. And, oh yeah. You know what I, I mean? I had more than my fair share of that as a kid. And of it was like picking the, on the, you. the way I remember it, like the ear flicking was, yeah. you know, you would walk onto the, the school bus was like, you know, prime territory for that. <laughs> You know, and you would get onto the bus and you would walk and immediately you look and you see everybody staring back at you and it's intimidating and all the biggest and the coolest kids are at the back of the bus. Right. Always. And and you try not to sit in the front seat because you're going to get labeled. If you sit in the front seat, you know, you're going to be like the ultra nerd. And so you try to, yeah, you try to move back as far as you can. (laughs) And these kids would like, 
they would like launch up from three seat rows behind me and flick the back of my ear as hard as they possibly could. And did it make you crazy? Oh yeah. It would it just, ups- it's upsetting. It hurts. It's, it's, uh, you well, know, to me, uh, that was a big thing. So I guess. this was happening know. to me every day. Yeah. I'm literally sitting in, you know, math class or something and the kid would walk behind me and I, I didn't see it coming and he would bam, flick my ear and every day. And it would shock me. I'd, I'd jump and I'd be like, Oh, it would upset me. Well, one day I had had it. You snapped. I snapped. He flicked my ear and I don't know what happened because I'm not this kind of person. You know me. Okay. Yeah. Um, he flicked my ear and it's like, I went from zero to a hundred in anger and rage. I saw red. It was like, you know, the cartoon, the bull sees red. red. Yeah. And I, I got up from my seat. I walked around the table. It was a long table. I followed him. I walked straight up to him with nuclear and I punched him right in the face. This man, young gut man, he probably weighed 80 more pounds or 100 pounds. I mean, I was skinny. You you met me when oh, I was yeah. skinny. I was like 120 pounds. You're still, you're still skinny. Oh, I'm trying. Okay, you know, but, not as skinny as back then, but hey. It'll work out. You know. yeah. it's, a <laughs> nice, this, it's a nice lean. This guy was a big husky dude, <laughs> and I punched him right in the face. He had this look of shock on his face, and all the kids around us sitting there were like, their eyes were like saucers. And the teacher was at the blackboard writing. He had no idea. And after I punched him, and I didn't, I didn't really hurt him. I was so weak. But I, I didn't know what to do. So I just walked back to my seat, and I sat down. And I tried to act normal. Meanwhile, you know, the adrenaline is just like yeah. surging through my body. And I'm like, I'm sweating, and I'm red. And everybody's looking at me like, oh, my do? God. It's going to happen. So the guy just went and sat down because he couldn't fight me in the middle of a class. It's math class, right? Right. So later on, All of course, later on, he, he caught up with me in the boys' bathroom and beat me to a pulp. <laughs> And uh, and and all the boys in the school yeah. were in the bathroom restoring chanting. the natural order of things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so stupid, right? Yeah. You were were you in fights when you were a kid? It seemed like when we were. Yeah. It's a different generation. It's not yeah. a lot. They they call the SWAT team now if a fight happens. Yeah, it's at pretty serious, and they it, it it seems to me the same way. It seems like there's a lot of like things in place to try to prevent all that today, and uh, like suspension or expulsion. Right, but you when know, you and I were in school, fights happened every day, right? Yeah, Growing all the up, time. It was a normal thing. Yep. Which um, isn't a good thing, but it was, you know. No, nah, not a good thing. It so, was, yeah, the 70s and the 80s. Yeah, so anyway, I used that story in my book to explain I was provoked big yes. time, right? Huge. Uh, but that's not the kind of provoked the book is actually about, all right? I was moved to action, although destructive, violent action. All right. And um, that's not me. That's not who I am. But I did it. Um, but it this there's this verse that the whole book is based off of, right? Mm-hmm. And it's about being provoked in a very different way. Maybe, why don't you read it? Yeah, actually, uh, Hebrews 10, chapter 10, verse 24. This is from the King James Version, but it says, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. And, you know, that... That's right on the cover, you know, and it immediately grabbed my attention. So I made a few notes of what impressed me about that. Mm. And I'm certain that I've read this verse before, but I don't think that it ever really stood out to me um, quite the same way. And so I really like how you have to have, have kind of built on the word provoke there because 
Uh, my understanding of provoke is is essentially is is it's to stir up like a strong feeling or a reaction, but usually like from an unwanted source in an undesirable manner. You know, this is right. not. It doesn't necessarily um, invoke a positive. Not usually. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't seem to to project like the, a positive notion, like that that being provoked is is a positive thing. Um, and yet, the way that it's used here, it seems almost contradictory, like kind of paradoxical that provoke unto love and good works. So, love and good works, obviously, these are very positive things, right? right? And so, I like the way that the author of Hebrews has used this word, this word provoke, to love and to good works. So, it really kind of puts a whole new twist on it of how we should be thinking about how, and that's what, that's what it says, and let us consider one another. So I really should be thinking, as your friend, I should be thinking about how to provoke you, you know, at, at all times. Like, I should be considering, hmm, how can I provoke one today, but unto love, you know. So not in the way that you explained uh, with this this incident that happened in school, right? right? But like, how can I get you to love, to love better, uh, to love deeper, you know, and subsequently, you know, really to to then facilitate in your life the good works that are to follow that. So that's kind of how I break it down. I like that immediately stood out to me. So Yeah, and that's what the whole book is about. It's really how God provoked me uh, as I was following him and serving the poor and the homeless, those who are struggling with homelessness. I was provoked to change because I felt like I didn't know how to love. I didn't know yeah. how to take care of people and and yet God was calling me to provoke them. In other words, to incite them, to stir them up, to be their best, right. to, to pursue their destiny and their dreams. And we do stuff like we're out, when we're out on the streets during an outreach, one of the things I've learned over the last 14 years is how to ask people like, what's your dream? And of course, they're bewildered when I ask them. They're like, whoa, uh, they might say, I don't really have a dream. Or sometimes they'll, they'll say, I think I just like a good job, like working maintenance or something I could do. Right. And, and I always say, I think you'd be great at that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like to encourage them and support them. And I see you do that. I mean, honestly, you're, you're, you're a master at that, at loving people well who are right in front of you. And you may have never met them. They could be a stranger. Mm. They're homeless. Maybe they're addicted. But it's like you're able to treat them like they're special and they're, they're valuable and they matter. That's a gift yeah. that you have. I appreciate you saying that. And, and um that really is something in me that I don't think would be there if, you know, this, this isn't like just the nature of my personality, um, you know, so to speak. It's, this is something that, that Jesus has managed to infuse into me, you know, and, and literally one of the ways that he did it was to provoke me. Mm -hmm. So now I'm making this connection now to provoke me to actually get out here on the streets um, and to do well, what I'm doing today, you know, what, and not just me, you know, it's what you've done. It's what, it's what other, uh, our other colleagues have done as staff members in New York city relief, mm -hmm. you know, but, um, it really is the dynamic where you encounter Jesus in the least of these on the streets and encountering him, you can't help but to be transformed. Right. So, I mean, that's, it's, it's an amazing thing. It changes your life. It changes you. It really does. And, and, and even after, what did I say, two years, 10 months approximately, even after being there for that amount of time, 
it continues to change me. Mm-hmm. So this me transformative too. process continues, yeah. you know, and for you, as you're saying, like after 14 years, right? And so this is, this is clearly all part of God's plan and, and so far beyond anything that we could have devised for ourselves. Yeah, and it makes me, it reminds me of this quote, which is in the book by Jimmy Carter, you know, one of the yeah, famous presidents. Uh, he said, and he, he was a born-again believer and the most demonstrative and he, an awesome dude. After mm-hmm. the presidency, he started Habitat for Humanity. I mean, right. the guys changed the world. And he said this, my faith demands that I do whatever I can, wherever I am, whenever I can, for as long as I can, with whatever I have, to try to make a difference. That's and an I'm incredible like, statement. <laughs> that's That spoke to me because I was like, yeah. yeah, that's what I want. I want my life to count for something. And I found that my faith, like you just said, came alive when I did stuff, Right. stuff I didn't know how to do, stuff I wasn't necessarily good at, but I just stepped out to love people. And it's like, I met Jesus and I became more like yeah. Jesus. And that's the best thing there is. It is. That's what it the is. whole book is about. And it's a risk, you know, and you don't know that this is how the Lord is going to be working. And you don't necessarily know this. Um, at least, at least speaking for myself, I guess I should say that, uh, you know, you, you know it, I guess you'd say in theory, right? Because you read it in the Word of God. So you know, you know, even in James it says like, you know, I'll show you my faith by my works, right? So clearly there's an indication that we need to be stepping out. We need to be getting out of our comfort zone. Uh, we need to be obedient to our Lord to love the least of these. But the transformation really happens when you actually do it. And it's not, um, and the good news is it's it's not up to us. That transformation is something that He does in us, it's, you know, again, it's something that, that can't be helped when you encounter Jesus yeah. and you do this when you're serving those on the streets. Um, one of the things that, that, that you had put in your book that I really liked, and this is, we're still just scratching the surface here, but just a, a small statement. It says, real love is creative. And that really hit me. I was thinking about that. Creative power and love. I think that's what really struck me. And um, you went on to say in the same paragraph, you know, these works and talking about like, you know, works, working to love people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, stepping out, demonstrating love. These works are ones that empower others and not create dependency. And so it really struck me how by loving others and and really just allowing yourself to be a conduit for the love of Christ, you know, because again, we don't find this ability inherent in ourselves, you know, this ability to love. It's beyond us. It's yeah. beyond us. Exactly. It comes from just saying yes to Jesus and stepping out again. And this love then, as you said, real love is creative. This genuine love, it actually transforms people. You know, and you talked a little bit about about stirring up people's dreams, you know, mm. and I think that's that's one of the greatest gifts you can give somebody is that gift of hope, right? Because hope is so, I mean, it is it is just so absent on the streets today and in that yeah. life, that life of poverty and homelessness um, that our friends out there are experiencing, and so this 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 creative power in love actually has the ability to transform. Um, and make something new in them, you know, to stir up mm. some dreams, to stir up hope. And so it's not really just about as simple as, as you know, that might be the method is to say, oh, well, I think you'd be really good at that when somebody talks about, you know, they just want to be a porter or a janitor or something. But it's, it's, it's greater than that. It's, um, it's just beginning to actually resurrect 
and even recreate hope in them. And that can allow, that can allow them to go. I mean, it, it really can be an endless journey, you know, from that point forward yeah. in their lives. I remember one day I was on the streets of Harlem. I may have been out there with you. I can't remember, but <laughs> I met a guy named Daniel and um, he was a nice guy and he was homeless. He's struggling with homelessness and he, he was depressed and um, he was just having a really hard time. And I just, I just loved on him. I spent time, I, I asked him questions about himself. I asked him what he wanted to do with his life, things like that. And I said, I think we can help, man. And you can beat this thing. God is on your side. Well, he gave his life to Jesus that day. Everything changed. We got him into a mission, a program. Um, he actually got into a job program. And said, and he came back, you know, while we we're on the streets one day to tell me, hey, I just wanted to tell you what's happening. I got a job full time. Uh, I have my own apartment now. I have a TV, a bed, you know, just normal stuff. But it was just because people who cared showed up. I didn't have any magic, you know, therapy things to tell them or social worker things. I'm just a guy just right. like you. We just love people. We try to do it well. And all the volunteers who come on our outreach and that's all it took. It's just somebody to believe in that guy and be like, I'm on your side. God's on your side, you mm. know? And it's like that opened up his brain to think, maybe I could make it. Maybe I should try to take this help they're offering because if the hope is shut down, like you said, hope is very, you know, scarce on the streets. So yeah. once the hope was awakened, the creative juices could could flow through him and be like, I think I'll try this. I'll, you know what I mean? I'll, right. I'll give it a try. So it changed everything. And I really want people to know too that this book is not just about homelessness and drug addiction and all that. I do have a lot of great stories in there from the streets, uh, which we'll talk about and stuff. But this is just about everyday life and loving people around us because there's brokenness everywhere in our neighborhood, our schools, our, our job. And so, you know, I really feel like our purpose on earth is to love well as Christians. That's, who mm -hmm. Jesus, that's what Jesus did. And so that's what it's all about the whole book. And then the, the subtitle is how to love people relentlessly. Relentlessly. I love that. You know what yeah. I mean? Cause I'm like, yeah, I want to love like that. Like this doesn't, won't give up. Right. Is that's just that's what Jesus has done for us. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And, and that's how we come alive. And then when we help others, they come alive and we come alive some more, you know? All right. So let's wrap up the episode because we got more to talk about in other episodes. So much more, so much more. <laughs> And uh, maybe in the next episode, we'll talk about why I don't call you Alec. I call you Craig. That might be a fun discussion. You should say that for the very last. Yes. Just to keep stringing people along. Okay. The mystery of because, why I call Because that, of course, would have Craig. to be the main reason yeah. that people would want to come back to this <laughs> It's <podcast>. a cliffhanger. <laughs> yeah. You have all this rich knowledge and experience. But, yes. But that one thing, yeah. of course. Yeah. All right. Well, great. This has been a great... Uh, episode and by the way this book is coming out in 2019 it's titled provoked how to love people relentlessly and do beautiful works that make you and others come alive so we hope that you pick up a copy it's going to be available on amazon and so you can just order it there where everybody else orders your books and hopefully it changes your life and encourages you and inspires you and most of all provokes you uh, to step out and do things you've never done before and and just watch your life you know come alive so thanks. Awesome. Thanks, Craig. <laughs> You're welcome, Juan, and thank you. See you next time.